Hi, and welcome to the November 2020 edition of the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Bill Weisbrod, Senior Reporter with DebtWire Middle Market. Today, we're joined by Olga Kosters, the North American-based head of private debt secondaries for French asset management firm TKO Capital. We're going to talk about the market for buying and selling stakes in private debt funds. Hi, Olga. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. So just to start off, what exactly does TKO's private debt secondary strategy do? Maybe I'll just uh, say a few words of um, who we are as a firm, and then um, I'll describe what we do in the private debt secondaries. Um, TKO Capital is a large uh, firm. It's actually French where it started, but it's now global, and we have 11 offices around the world and manage about um, $27 billion in assets. Um, it was founded about 16 years ago and has grown from a very small base, and essentially the key principles that drove the growth of the firm was, uh, first and foremost, we put our own capital at risk. So we invest in the strategies that we launch, um, so we're aligned with our limited partners. We build strong relationships locally, everywhere in the world. Um, We have presence in Europe, of course, but we also have three offices in Asia, and now we have an office in New York. And we, from day one, focused on credit underwriting and really fundamental research. So those are the three key principles. And I'd say private debt secondaries is a completely new strategy for the firm, but those three key principles play a significant role in what we do on the private debt secondary side. And maybe just to add how it all came about, I joined TKO a year ago to launch private debt secondaries uh, business. Um, and you know, throughout my career before uh, joining TKO, I looked at, analyzed private debt over the last 20 years. Um, I started uh, on the private equity side within financial institutions group. And since my team was buying minority stakes and banks, I spent a lot of time looking at private debt portfolios when private debt as an asset class didn't even exist yet. So that was 20 years ago. And then in various roles throughout my career, I either looked at underlying assets and the credit risk or primary private debt funds allocations and secondaries was becoming to grow as a a particular in a niche strategy, and I spend a lot of time looking at secondaries um, across my across my career. So, where did the idea to start a secondary strategy uh, at your at your present firm come from, or, or you know, what why you know why late last year I think is when it launched. Why um, you know, why then and why now? Yeah. Um, well, we've uh, looked at what was happening within private equity secondaries over the last 20 plus years. And there was a very similar trajectory to what was happening with private debt. So that, you know, in our opinion, was a very, very interesting space to explore. And we also wanted to put a TKO, our own capital, 
to work in this specific strategy because we, we perceive the growing set of opportunities. We as a firm, as I've mentioned, we over the last 16 years developed a very strong credit underwriting muscle and intellectual capital. So we wanted to use that in, in this specific strategy. And we also had a set of um, very strong relationships with GPs and LPs um, and uh, strategic partners across the globe, which is um, very interesting from origination point of view. So we were looking at um, why now? So uh, maybe we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on what, what's, what's happened and what's happening currently um, in, in secondaries world and private debt secondary specifically. But also why us? It made perfect sense for us to, to launch a strategy and use our balance sheet capital before we, we launch a new fund. You know, this sounds like a fairly niche uh strategy, you know, what's liquidity like for um, private debt secondaries right now for the types of assets you're looking at? So if we look at the deal flow, it has grown from a very low basis. And, you know, we're kind of looking at the last maybe 10, 12 years where private debt on the primary side with um, primary fund allocations the capital has grown quite rapidly and significantly to what about 850, maybe 900 billion in primary um, capital allocation and uh, investments. And then that growth led to growth in the secondary deal volume. And right now it's estimated kind of depending on who you ask between five and 10, maybe 15 billion per year which is quite small still compared to what you see in the private equity secondaries, which had been in existence for much, much longer. And that's on the supply side, but on the demand side, there is less than a handful of dedicated teams. So this is a very interesting supply and demand dynamic. And liquidity to, to, to your question and to your point is kind of is driven by what's happening on both supply and demand side, but also driven by expectations on the prices and the discounts for various deals. So, you know, just to give you an example of before COVID, let's say last year, the prices were meaningfully higher compared to where they're now. So I think even though we didn't expect uh, COVID and pandemic and the lockdowns, it actually the, the investment thesis around the strategy and what we're doing and the deals we're looking at, actually, um, the, the, the timing is, is not bad. So, yeah, I mean, how, how does liquidity compare right now to say, uh, or, or at least to opportunities uh, for, for your strategy compare right now to say the earlier days of the pandemic or over the summer and even before the pandemic? So before the pandemic, there were several trends already developing, right? So um, obviously on the kind of the, the fundamental basis, people were worried already where we are in the credit cycle. And then on the kind of specifically to secondaries, there were several things that were developing and evolving and it's still happening right now. On the one hand, because of that large growth in primaries, LPs, uh, in some cases, started to look to sell. So 
So they were looking for liquidity. They were coming to secondary markets. And that very much continued and very much still still very much uh, developing in post-COVID, post-lockdown um, world. Um, the other trend is growing GP-led deals where general partners, the managers themselves, are taking an active role in setting up continuation vehicles, annex vehicles. They're seeding new vehicles that they will continue to manage with some of the assets from prior funds or SMAs or from their balance sheet. So that, that's very much a trend across the board. And it's not only for private debt, but um, it's, it's very much growing a trend. And uh, we, we're looking at um, several deals at, at the moment as we speak. And the third one is something to do with providing not an equity capital, but financing capital for funds, uh, both for GPs and LPs. So this is something that has been evolving and developing uh, both in private equity and private debt space. So this is something that we're, we're looking to, to, to do as well. So I think those three had been in evolution before the lockdowns. And, you know, I shouldn't say post-COVID because obviously COVID is very much uh, with us still and it's very much still evolving situation. But what has happened right after March is that some of the deal flow on the LP um, side either got disrupted or people were looking for the prices that were not achievable that particular moment in time because of what was happening in public markets and just general uncertainty and volatility. And meanwhile, GPs had taken a pause because they wanted to see how their portfolios would um, evolve through, through the lockdown period. The, the financing structures, they, the, the, some of the conversations continued, but there was this kind of immediate kind of pause. And then the, the deal flow actually came back to perhaps the same level, if not more. So we're, we, we're seeing a lot of activity, so um, it's really encouraging. So we're very, um, very busy at the moment, which is a, which is a good sign. But that perhaps going um, and stepping back from the deal flow and what's happening right now, another thing that we observed was the behavior. LPs are becoming very proactive in how they manage their portfolios and um, not only kind of buying and holding assets, but also looking at secondary market and uh, looking in some cases to um, seek liquidity or uh, actively manage their portfolio. So I think that that's something that uh, we definitely saw changing. And that's probably attributable to the fact that there is still volatility and uncertainty around us and um, people taking a view. So yeah, I mean, just to follow up on that, what's, um, you know, what would you say is the main driver of, of secondary trading or secondary sales in direct lending and private credit portfolios is that, um, is that, you know, need for liquidity by, by LPs generally, or, or is it more of a range? I would say it's a range. Liquidity and um, some of the constraints that uh, limited partners um, see on their liability side and some of the changes, those 
requirements for liquidity uh, for pension funds and for uh, endowments and for other investors um, play a role. Um, there's other factors. Um, as I've mentioned, GP-led, um, this is something that's driven very much by GPs, in some cases, simplifying uh, multiple vehicles and kind of figuring out how to roll you know, multiple legacy structures into one. In some cases, it's driven by um, their very creative ways and um, willingness to find new capital. Um, so that that's kind of another side of the story. And I think within private debt, um, private debt is a newer asset class compared to private equity. And private debt secondary is even newer yet. So it's, it's a very much creative, evolving space, very interesting deals. So I think we're very, um, we seem to be in a very good time, in a good place. So that, that's kind of how we see it. You know, we had covered, say, in the early days of the pandemic, when a lot of companies were drawing down revolvers and uh, tapping direct lenders for uh, yeah to, to fund revolve to fund uncommitted revolvers, um, which in turn, in some cases, you know, that may have been resolved by now, but back then, uh, put a bit of a squeeze on direct lenders' liquidity uh, to the point that they had to go to their LPs. Um, to, to call money. Is that something that you saw play out at that time and that, that showed up in, in your market? Yes, we saw it played out in several different situations. I'll, I'll probably describe a couple. So one, um, one situation or one um, kind of series of um, um, deals were caused by LPs, uh, not necessarily seeking an immediate liquidity, but seeking the relief from some of the commitments that they had on, on the capital that haven't been called yet. So they, they haven't expected this call being, uh, this capital to be called so early. So they had to um, kind of re, redraw how that would have a, a pressure on their liquidity and what they would do in those situations. The other angle, uh, and this is something we, we haven't touched, but we followed very, very closely what was happening with BGC's business development companies because some of them resembled credit funds in the listed format. And, you know, in the, in the matter of several weeks from end of February until end of March, the, the price drop for BDCs was quite spectacular. You know, in some cases, uh, 50, 60%. So what has happened with um, publicly listed vehicles is essentially draw attention from people like ourselves who were looking at private vehicles managed by similar managers. But what we saw is that they had to either shore up some of the equity capital because the asset prices were dropping and they had to adhere to asset coverage ratios, or they, they were um, kind of discussing with people like ourselves various uh, financing structures for vehicles outside of a listed universe. So that, that, that was a very interesting time, but that's how it manifested itself. So um, we were um, quite active. Has that dynamic been resolved at, at present or are you still seeing any, any effects in the market you look at? To a large extent, it had been resolved. 
uh, when when we look at the index of BDCs, for example, it hasn't come up all the way uh, where it was back in February, but it covered a lot of ground um, since March. So there is no immediate pressure uh, on some of the uh, BDC managers. But I think what has started as a conversation around some of the facilities we could do back then or some of the investments we've actually done back then continues and we keep a good relationship with GPs that we, we engaged engaged with um, back in back in April and May. And then so you said you you know had spent some time had spent time looking at uh, you know individual portfolios and, and holdings. You know, one dynamic that we've covered is just the the way deal flow is picked up so much and you know le- lenders and pro- and sponsors are really rushing to get deals done or, or eager to get deals done uh, before the end of the year compared to the law in the middle of the year you know h- how much time do you spend on looking at individual portfolio holdings and and new de- and new issuance and what's your impression of the market right now uh for direct lending and private credit and, and middle market sponsor finance uh, in the U.S. with regards to um, underwriting and terms and asset quality, if, if that's something you spend time on? We spend a lot of time looking at the underlying assets. As mentioned before, we, we are very much kind of fundamental credit research-driven uh, firm. And um, within our team, we spend a lot of time looking at the underlying portfolios and assets. And, you know, within secondaries, that that makes sense because we already see quite a few assets within the portfolio. So we, to an extent, we we can mitigate the blind pool risk, i.e., you know, the, the some, some, some loans are still, um, and some uh, fund commitments are still outstanding. So, but we, we target to invest in portfolios that are largely funded. So we, we have the chance to actually underwrite the investments that have been done already. But I think the question, and this is a very good question as to how, let's say, some of the underwriting that was done and some of the quality of the documents that um, have been in existence in the last five years, has it changed, right? So in that regard, we sort of have a chance to compare some of the deals that were done in um, prior vintages to what's happening right now. And our view has always been, you know, in the last several years, it's very much been a borrower's market. And it has changed um, this year, but not in every segment. So let's say larger companies that still have access to capital markets that um, kind of rallied very strongly throughout the year, um, they they're almost at the same levels where they were, let's say, um, last year or two years ago. But with the middle market and the smaller companies, um, it hasn't been the case. So it's it's very much a lender's market um, with both more favorable terms, but also tied to covenants and better quality documents. That being said, I think if we were to sort of see the future, I would say that the expectation, at least my personal expectation, is that defaults in the middle market are going to be higher, but 
the recovery is also going to be higher compared to what we would see in love loans. We'll see. It's still, as I said, it's still very much playing out, but um, this is something that we will track closely. Why do you say that? Um, why, why, why higher than love loans? I think with love loans, um, and obviously with love loans, defaults have been picking up. I think the, the main question is what happens with recoveries because over the, over the years, um, love loans statistically recoveries have been quite high compared to unsecured deals, um, sort of around 70% area um, relative to say 40% um, has been the case with unsecured bonds. Um, so I think we'll see, but what, you know, what we are observing is that recoveries are going down, so that might further deteriorate. So that, that will have an impact on the losses. In the middle market, I don't have kind of the clear picture yet because it's very much still the mid-game. But my expectation would be that um, defaults just because some of the documents were, were, were tighter compared to um, upper mid-market. Defaults are going to be higher, but recoveries also uh, might potentially be higher. We'll see. It's a little bit of kind of trying to see the future. So, uh, and it's just hypothesis at this point. Yeah, well, I guess that was going to be my last question was, you know, yeah. to kind of put you on the spot and expectations for private debt and direct lending as an asset class for North America for 2021. Um, you know, just to finish up anything that you want to add to that as, as to where you see the asset class and, and that that industry going in the coming year or beyond? I think to an extent, private debt and, uh, you know, to your point, specifically mid-market lending, direct lending provides value um, to both issuers and um, the, the, the GPs. I think that, that that's going to stay on. The growth, you know, I'm kind of hesitant to comment on what's going to happen um, specifically next year because it's a very it's very much hard to say at this point but what we do on the private debt secondary side we look not only at direct lending strategies right we describe our private debt universe includes obviously senior strategies unit trend strategies direct lending uh, in that particular corner but we also look at distressed specialty finance uh, more junior strategies like MES. So for us, finding interesting opportunities and every deal we underwrite on a deal basis uh, without kind of um, uh, tr trying to constrain ourselves um, as to you know, how specifically our overall portfolio would look like. But anyway, so for us, uh, finding an interesting opportunities across the board is something that's you know, is part of what we do. Well, thanks, Olga. I uh, appreciate you taking the time. Really interesting to hear about this, your, your area of the market. So, um, you know, thanks, thanks again. Sure. Thanks, Bill.